Okay, hi, hon. Hello, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for podcast listeners, uh, uh, because we had a discussion of how Spanish pronounces the th sound on our last show, it occurred to me rather belatedly that my daughter actually is studying this sort of stuff. So uh, I thought I'd bring her on the show, as it were, and uh, I'll start by introducing her. This is Maya Palmquist, my well, daughter. hello, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so Maya, tell me about uh, what classes you're taking and how you would come to know anything about this. Um, well, last semester I took um, Intro to Hispanic Linguistics. Um, I go to McAllister College and I'm a Hispanic Studies and Psychology major. Um, and this semester I'm taking um, Spanish Dialectology. Cool. So we are learning a lot about variations in pronunciation in Spanish. Excellent. I, I just wish I had actually asked you about it before <laughs> holding forth as an authority on it. And Quite all right. Uh, you were mostly right. Good, good. And, and we're not, any of us, pretending to supreme expertise here. You've taken not. a couple of classes. Exactly. Which puts you a step ahead of me. So uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you about is, uh, what were some of the things that we didn't quite get right in terms of our discussion of this distinction of the th pronunciation in Spanish? Um, oh, the, the only thing that um, stuck out to me, which is a nitpicky thing, of <laughs> course, um, is that um, it's ceseo and feceo and not um, ceseo, ceseo, which is not really important, <laughs> but um, that is generally how one would pronounce it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could talk a little bit about um, what variations I do know about and, and where they're used, because um, you guys seemed like you were not quite sure. Yeah, that'd be um, great. So there's, in the peninsula, there are two main dialects. There is Centro Norteño, which is, um, includes Madrid, Barcelona. Of course, I'm using the accent, <laughs> but when I speak Spanish, I don't generally. Um, and that is the the accent that features distinción. Um, and then in Andalusia, you have the Andalus accent. What part of the peninsula is that's that? That's the southern okay. portion of the peninsula. Um, um, and that's generally where you'll find. Um, ceseo is much more common than ceceo, but it does exist. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think that there tends to be um, some, there's some correlation with with social class, with ceseo and ceceo, I think ceceo um, sometimes tends to be a lower class um, feature, but I'm not entirely sure, so don't take my word on it. Um, yeah, so, but you'll also find, I'm, of course, making dialectical divisions is messy and inaccurate often. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, uh, a friend of mine who's from Spain, he is from the town of Almeria, which is from uh, sort of southeast Spain, in, in Andalusia, but he, he's a distinguidor, which is what you would, so, um, yeah, you would call somebody who practices distinción uh, distinguidor, and somebody who practices ceseo, uh, ceseante, um, or ceceante. Uh, so there if, are ceseantes, ceceantes. And distinguidores. Okay. Um, I'm just interested whether this friend of yours has uh, a feeling about what it means socially. Uh, I don't think so. The thing is that he's um, he's lived all his life in Almeria, and his family is from there. Um, I don't. I I think that you know, just there are people who practice different. You know, I don't think it's like a a class thing or it's like a a, a very conscious thing. 
What about the, historically how, because obviously most people in the world who speak Spanish are speaking it outside of Spain. And yeah, and the vast majority of um, people in Latin America are practice ceseo. Um, and of course, there are um, there are dialects that feature the the feta that um, sort of uh, you guys call it a dental fricative. Yeah. Um, we call it a would call it an interdental fricative in Spanish, um, or at least in the classes I've taken, that's what we've called it. Um, would you say that's because the Spanish speakers put their tongue a little further out than English speakers? I don't know. That's entirely possible. <laughs> um, I guess I wouldn't. I've never looked at a Spanish speaker's mouth that closely, and I'm not a Spanish speaker, so my mouth really isn't a, an area for study there, uh, or at least I'm, you know, I'm not native. Um, oh, but yeah. So, history. Yeah, yeah. please. Okay. Um, so the system of siblings in the the peninsula was originally very complicated. Um, it consisted of about six phonemes, um, or allophones, I guess. Um, no. Because there was a distinction made between one and the other, so yeah, it would be they a would phoneme. be phonemes. Um, so, yeah, there was the um, unvoiced, s, the voiced, z, um, the sort of unvoiced affricates, and then the voiced affricates, um, and there were also sh and j, um, but those sort of um, those eventually turned into ch, the the velar um, sort of ojo, that kind of thing. So those don't turn; those are sort of and null in our. <laughs> And that, I guess, would be the debuckalization that we actually talked about a little bit oh, in the really? previous yeah. episode. Um, yeah, over time, um, they, the sh and j both sort of leveled into the unvoiced sh, and then that sort of retrocedes in the mouth to become the velar. Mm-hmm. So you would say, dijo, ojo, etc. And it used to be disho. Yeah, disho, um, fisho, that kind of thing. Um, okay, so then back to um, the the first four siblings that I talked about, um, the s, z, tz, and z. Mm-hmm. Um, those experienced, um, well, they all became devoiced, um, and then the, the tz um, was no longer an affricate. Um, so you end up with these two phonemes, the apicoalveolar, sh, which is generally the uh, the sibilant that you'll find in in central and northern Spain. And that apico is from the Spanish pronunciation apico, right? Apico we, We'd probably say apico. Oh, okay, apico. Okay. Um, yes, I've never done this in English. <laughs> um, so it's more of a. Sh- 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 you can you can hear like a little bit of a difference. Um, um, so that is the one coming from the the um, regular. S, the mm-hmm. that was originally there. And in the spelling, you'd see that in a double S or an S, like casa. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the thing is that, I mean, originally the the unvoiced was represented by a double S and the voiced was that represented by a single S. But as we all know in Spanish now, double letters don't exact, exist except for R's and L's. Um, so um, then the, the affricate, when it loses that affrication, I don't know if you would say that <laughs> in sure. English. Yeah, I'm sort of making things up because <laughs> all I have is a Spanish vocabulary. Um, but um, if you make the sound, you'll notice that it's a, you have your tongue on your teeth, so this, it's a dental sound. So then um, when, it, when it becomes not an affricate anymore, um, it's, it's a sort of a dental S 
Mm-hmm. And what happens is that sort of um, that morphs over time into that theta, the, the dental fricative. Right. Um, so that's in the north, whereas in, um, in Andalusia, both of those, um, like the S's, just level out into the regular s- So they further merged. There was no distinction. Yeah, there. there was sort of a leveling um, where the easier option was chosen and became used. I have to say, in your description of this, and this is something that perhaps your teacher didn't talk about, but to, to me in terms of the articulation of it, uh, I would call my s mm-hmm. an apicoalveolar sound. S- that is to say that I'm making a little groove at my alveolar ridge, and that when I do a tss, 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 I am doing it a little bit further forward, and the contact of the tip of my tongue is just barely in touch with my teeth. There's a laminal closure with the blade of the tongue and a little bit of contact with the teeth with the tip of my tongue. So I can see how that's on a tipping point where it could either be an alveolar or a dental sound. Mm-hmm. So it seems like these historical sounds were resting in this place in between well, th and s. Exactly. I mean, the it was a very complicated system that <laughs> that made very um, detailed distinctions between similar sounds. And right. I think that is exactly why, over time, it was no longer useful to distinguish between these. Right. So uh, those distinctions were reduced into a distinction that remains for some speakers between s sounds which are spelled with s's yes and, then and th sounds which are spelled with c's and z's yes precisely uh, however in andalusia they you, merged it further yeah and you and you will find people who only have the th phoneme um or or people who only have this in andalusia or yeah. just i see so but the people who took that distinction to Latin America were Ceseo speakers. Yeah, um, and you, w- you will find um, the, the vast majority, I would say the entirety of Latin America is uses Ceseo. Um, and there are um, some dialects in which the th appears, but it's not in the same way as distinción. So it's a um, separate development. Yeah, I mean, there are some, like I was just reading about sort of Nicaragua, um, El Salvador, and one other Central American country. And it said that, like, sometimes in these dialects you'll hear in certain... And I can't remember the context, but it was not the same thing as distinción. It's not, you know, tied to the spelling. Um, But, yeah, so the the theory of... Or the um, Andalusian theory um, basically um, says that the, that um, American Spanish is the way it is and the differences in American Spanish are the way they are um, because of the fact that um, the colonizers are not, well, colonizers and colonists um, coming to the Americas were from Andalusia or if they weren't from Andalusia, had to pass through Andalusia because all the ports were, were in the south of Spain that they were leaving from. So if, even if you were from Madrid or Barcelona, you were coming through, spending quite a bit of time in Andalusia, spending a lot of time with Andalusians on boats before you got to the Americas. And so that's the idea that, like, and, you know, while they weren't, Andalusians didn't make up the majority of people 
or the the majority of colonists in the Americas, mm-hmm. they were the largest single group. They made up about thirty percent of colonists. Um, so, so there was some sort of influence. I find it difficult to believe that if I'm a grown up and I go hang out in Andalusia, I'm going to lose my distinction. Mm-hmm. Because I'm hanging out with those people. Right. Unless I think it's somehow prestigious or useful. Right. Um, so so that's, you know, part of the theory. Um, and alternately, um, sort of, okay, so Olga Koch Incapier has basically this theory that um, American Spanish is a koine that... Um, You're going to have to explain Yeah, that. I was about to say, a brief <laughs> explanation of a koine, although it's difficult to define in, in, to some degree, um, is basically it's um, a new variety or dialect, if you will, um, that arises from contact within different groups or, or, or different varieties of the same language. So it's not like, it, it is similar in some ways to um, a pidgin or a creole, but the difference is that those are two separate languages that are brought together for commerce. And whereas, this is two varieties within the same language. Or three or four. It could be many. Um, so you know, let's say you have many different cultural social groups that are suddenly brought into contact, um, and there's a, sort of a lot of cohabitation, um, and it's it's about like the creation of a new cultural identity that's emerging, and the fact that the children, the newer generations of this new community, are um, creating this new like sort of combination of dialects. So, the like a London Cockney would be a Koine because there are people from all sorts. Parts in England coming to the industrial center and foreigners coming in, and lots of places in LA would be Koine communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would not argue with that on face value. <laughs> I <laughs> Could you tell me how to spell Koine? It's K O I N E, and I'm not entirely sure if in English there's an accent on the E, but I believe there is in Spanish. Maybe a Greek word? Yeah, it does come from Greek. Okay. Um, so I don't even know if in English you would say koine. Maybe it's coin or something like that. But again, coming Sounds from a limited background. <laughs> I'll have to have you back on to talk about that after we figure out <laughs> what mistakes we made this time. Exactly. Um, oh, so this, this theory that, um, that American Spanish is a koine that, um, and that you know the, the vast majority, if not all, um, American Spanish speakers are Cesayantes because is because of the fact that in the creation of this new coinet, even though there were colonists that were both distinguidores and Cesayantes, um, because Cesayo Cesayantes as well, right? Presumably, yes. Okay. Um, that Cesayo is the easiest, simplest, um, of yeah, characteristic of language, and that that would be the one to get chosen in this new koine. That's the one that surfaces and then everybody starts using because it's the easiest. So the the distinctions of phonemes started before the colonization. Yeah. This was, I mean, distinción and, and ceseón, cetea were in existence before, um, before the colonists came to America. And presumably they've continued in their local communities in Spain relatively yes. unchanged. Excellent. I think that that's all we should talk about for today, yeah. but it's so, I have to say, awesome <laughs> to be able to learn stuff from you. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Dad. I love you. <laughs> love you. Bye. Bye.